Welcome everybody to the Apex Sunday podcast. We're hosted by two petrol heads, myself, John Dowsett, and Rob Ross. And this is the podcast that banters and rambles on about Formula One races, news, and events. Thanks, John, and hello everyone. Welcome to the podcast for the 2021 Bahrain Grand Prix. Before we get to the race, John, there's some news to discuss, and I think we can start with some team building news. What do you think of Williams hiring Francois Xavier de Maison from Volkswagen? I think it's absolutely wonderful. I, I mean, it, 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 all it tells me, it screams that with no sponsorship on the Williams car, that we're going to see Porsche or Audi or Volkswagen in Formula One in a few years. It looks like they're building a, a farm team. They're, they're building a, a skunk works, I should say, where they're, you know, they're going to set everything up. And once everything gets sort of put together, we're going to see a new name, especially with Mercedes pulling out, I think. Yeah. And do you think it would be Porsche or Audi or Volkswagen? Who knows? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're all, they all have rich racing heritage. Volkswagen is mostly in, in touring car and off-road stuff like Dakar. Um, Audi was in Formula One in the form of Auto Union, um, and, and they dominated the top level of sports cars, like dominated, killed everybody. And, well, need I say anything about Porsche? Right, yeah. They've also had, they hired Josh Capito from Volkswagen earlier. So there definitely looks like a tie up there. And the second thing in team building news, I would say, was Alpine signing Davide Brivio from the Suzuki MotoGP team as the racing team manager. What are your thoughts on that hire? I, you know, I, I've not really followed MotoGP that much, so I can't really comment. I, the only thing I can comment is that I, I don't know how much translates uh, from uh, MotoGP to, to Formula One racing. Right. Yeah, he was the guy who brought Rossi from Repsol Honda to Yamaha. Nowadays, Rossi and Yamaha are synonymous, and basically that partnership brought a lot of success to MotoGP. It increased in popularity, but uh, Rossi went to Ducati for a while, and at that time, Davide followed him as an advisor, but then Suzuki came to him and hired him as their team manager as they went back into MotoGP. They got back in 2015, and by 2020, six years, they had already won the Riders' Championship with Joanne Mir and the Team's Championship. In regard to relevance to Formula One, both of these are both global championships. So he's very familiar with, you know, paddocks and, you know, international laws and all the things that happen uh, as you travel around the world racing. Well, maybe, maybe then this is a really interesting effort on their part. I, I, if he's got that sort of success, you know, it just breeds success. They, they need more mm-hmm. money. Yes. <laughs> so he was very well regarded by everyone in MotoGP, so hopefully it translates to Alpine. And, you know, we both discussed uh, Renault basically not living up to their old standards. When I got into F1, you had to have the Renault engine or you weren't going to win a championship. And now it's Mercedes, obviously, and possibly this year, Honda. So they do need to make some changes and to uh, improve, for sure. Who knows? We could see see Renault next year with with the new ground effects and the changes for for 2022 being top of the charts 
I mean, we see that. We, we've seen Ferrari. We've seen Renault. We've seen yep. Mercedes. We've seen McLaren. We've seen I, Red Bull. There's a dominant team. Who's it going to be? And next year, I think we have a valid, valid chance to see anybody at the top. Mm-hmm. Well, it would be nice to see Alonso at the front again, right? Everyone's excited about the possibility of a Lewis versus Verstappen battle, but throw Alonso in that, possibly, you know, Carlos Sainz or Charles Leclerc, and we could have some very, very good racing. Lando Norris. Lando Norris, too, yeah. And, of course, uh, Daniel Ricciardo. Yeah. So there's a lot of good quality racing drivers. And I'm not saying there's bad quality teams, but there's definitely, you know, top teams are very far in front and then the mid midfield. Do you think that the midfield's gotten tighter this year? That's what they say. I don't tend to pass judgment after a few days of testing and even after a couple of races. So we're just going to have to wait and see. What do you think? This is where the rubber hits the road. And typically we see Mercedes and Red Bull and Ferrari step away from everybody else because they've got the money to keep developing, even while they're developing next year's car and nobody Mm -hmm. else does. So is that going to be the case this year? I don't know. All that means is the top six cars, which this year looks like it's going to be a different six cars this year. You know, it looks like Mercedes, Mm -hmm. I mean, Mercedes, McLaren and Red Bull are going to be the three at the top. I think Mercedes is going to get, it, going to get yeah. in. I mean, McLaren is. This year, I think McLaren's going to get into the mix. I, I could be wrong. I think it'd be lovely if they did. Yeah, absolutely. It would be. And what do you think of George Russell replacing Grosjean as the GPDA director? I look at that and I think he's a young kid who probably isn't going to do much. And maybe he was put forth because nobody else really wanted to do it. And the GPDA doesn't have any teeth anymore. Yeah, I don't know enough about it really to say, but I know he's got a reputation for being proactive, let's say. You know, he could he could be good for this and he could be it kind of reminds me of actors learning to direct during their acting career because they know in the future they're going to be doing something else and George Russell strikes me as that type of person. He's always looking for any kind of avenue that he can increase his knowledge of the sport and so forth. So it could turn out to be a, a good appointment, but we, we'll see. Well, he's no Jackie Stewart. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. And then we had Pierre Gasly commenting on his experience with Red Bull. And we both know that, you know, the second Red Bull driver over the last few years has not done too well. Not just the last couple of years, throughout the history of Red right, Bull. Right, right. Yeah, I guess we can go back to Mark Webber and his famous, not bad for number two driver back in 2010, I think it was. So. Yeah, it's been going on for quite a while. Gasly talked about he felt he lacked support, he wasn't listened to, and he was quickly judged by his results. Do you think that will be any different for Checo? No, I don't think it's going to be different for Checo. I think I think if if Perez has the has the ability to to beat young Max, then yeah, he's going to become the number one, and very quickly they're going to drop Max, and that, we, mm-hmm. that really could happen but the chance of that happening is slim to none because max knows the car and perez doesn't know the car it's going to take him a few races to get up to speed and if it takes him a few races to get up to speed he is purely 100 percent delegated as a number two (laughs) right yeah i think people believe that because of his reputation that red bull won't 
treat him that way, but they're not going to change the way they operate. He will absolutely have to take that position from Max. Or it's not going to happen. Not get it's it. not going to happen in no, my I mind, so and I and I say that because historically, the only team that's really been allowed to have a number two driver is Ferrari, and and you think of Massa, and you think of Barrichello, who in yep. my mind were world champion quality drivers who were not allowed to do anything, and and. Other teams have done the same, but they aren't allowed to say it for some reason. Only Ferrari is allowed <laughs> to admit that that's what it is and play the team radio of, of saying, let them buy. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, everyone, you should watch out for our com- upcoming feature on team orders because it's a very interesting and uh, contentious topic. Indeed. So, so we'll definitely get into that. The final little bit of interesting news I thought was the F1 teams wanting more testing for 2022. Uh, What do you think about that, John? I think that they've done the right thing with limiting testing. It hasn't helped. The idea was to reduce the expense of running a Formula One team because the underlings couldn't run massive tests. Right. Uh, and it m- basically moved the test to practice on race days. And now if you go to a race, there's a solid, solid three hours of, of practice where everybody's out there hammering around the track, and it's wonderful for the spectators. Right, right. Whereas in the past, they might have stayed in the pits to preserve engines and tires and so forth. This testing news leads us right into qualifying and the Haas team. If we talk about qualifying, the first thing that I noticed was the Haas team at the very back of the grid, and that's not a surprise, of course, but they did say that they're not going to develop this year's car. They're going to develop next year's car this year. So I think that the Haas drivers are going to find themselves at the back of the grid throughout most of the year. Sometimes Williams might join them, and sometimes, obviously, drivers that are penalized will join them there. But it's also a good thing for Mick and Nikita because they get to develop without too much pressure. And that's a wonderful thing. I don't hold mm-hmm. great hope for either of those two drivers, but only only time will tell. You know, if they they need a, a real car underneath them, um, they need a car that can at least keep up to another team. And it looks like Williams is being removed from the chase cars. Yeah, the very back, right? Particularly uh, George Russell did well to get to, to Q2. So the new rolling chicanes are the Haas. Fantastic. (laughs) And a particularly dangerous one, perhaps, in Mazapin, because uh, he spun quite a (laughs) lot this weekend. (laughs) I feel for him. I feel for him. I mean, nerves, first race, and and a charger, a hard charger in in the feeder series. You know, watching him in the feeder series, he was always... He never gave up. He was very much an Alonso, always, always going for it. Right. But we talked about this before, Rob, you and I, which is, you know, in the feeder series, it's a completely different world where it's you, you're expected to go into a corner four deep with only one coming out or yes. maybe two coming out. And if you don't do that, you aren't going to get anywhere in the sport because that's the only way that you're going to go to the front. Mm-hmm. And, and that starts in karting and it stops in Formula One. I think it's still probably there in NASCAR. I, right. I don't know. I don't watch NASCAR. Right. Um, but yeah, that, the mentality has to change and wisdom has to come into play, which we've seen Max grow into, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
that's the thing of Max is Max versus Lewis is the thing that most people are interested in. And sure enough, that's what we got in qualifying. But that four tenth gap is quite large because as anyone who follows racing knows that even a tenth or even half a tenth can make up quite a lot of time over a number of laps, right? You know, you're over five seconds ahead if you're a tenth, tenth a lap faster in a 50 lap race. It's those kind of gaps that make a difference. The one tenth or the two tenths, you know what? It's not that much. I, I still, I will, I will argue that in that, you know, you make one or two mistakes in a lap um, and there's your tenth, there's your mm-hmm. two tenths. And, and it is slight mistakes like that. I mean, these guys are all driving within an inch every lap. They're so bloody consistent. They're so good. So all you have to do is make a slight, slight, slight mistake and you're a tenth back. But four tenths is a clear indication of a faster car. Yep. At least in qualifying, right? And I remember years ago you saying you had attended a kart race and you were surprised by who was consistent and who wasn't in terms of their lines. And I believe it was Montoya had the same line every time, but some of the other racers were all over the place. That was, that was IndyCar. It was an IndyCar race, right? It was a kart race, and, and it was the Molson Indy in Toronto, and I couldn't even stay for it because <laughs> e- even, even when uh, I raced gt cars i was more consistent than these guys were it was like they're hunting to find a line whereas there's a line it, you should be able to find a line within two laps right and these guys no you know the, the hard part's finding breaking points turn in points exit point uh for getting on the throttle getting off the throttle if can you accelerate into the apex or not um and those guys are just all over the map with mm-hmm. indie cars I don't, I, I don't know if it's still the same i shouldn't be dissing indie car but no that was quite a while ago because montoya hasn't driven that series for a while as well i i do know that magnuson is killing it in in the top level of sports oh, is he? right now which thrills okay. me. yes yes what do you think of mercedes and these sort of these other cars that are low rake they're apparently not doing too well this year for downforce and so forth. I don't, I, I think that's track specific and, and, you know, there's the low rate cars and there's the, the cars look, that look like a, a 1960s drag car. Cause they've got so much air underneath their back end. And it's just two different approaches. Uh, the, the question for me is, is what happens when you get to Monaco? What happens when you get to the tighter circuits and who's going to do better there? And, and I think one clearly does better, on the tighter circuits, which is the lower rate cars, um, right. because they're generating downforce in a different way. I don't think there's right. that really that much difference between the two of them. It's just two different ways of doing it. The other thing that really impressed me in qualifying was Yuki Sonoda going, getting into second in Q1, and Alonso getting all the way to Q3, having been two years out of Formula One. That's extremely impressive. He still got it. He he never stopped. I mean, the man yeah. raced everything, and I think it harkens back to Kimi Raikkonen, who, you know, took time off and went and raced World Rally. Yeah, yeah. What kind of additional skills is that going to give you? You've already honed your skills in Formula One, and as Lewis said, you never stop learning. But my God, to step into a different venue like that and start racing other cars, and he did a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. the one thing that he said in the pre-show was that it taught him that a lot more about teamwork 
because that's one of the right. things that he was on the opposite end of when he was racing Formula One, and he destroyed a couple of teams. You read Mark Priestley's book? No, I haven't read Mark, Mark Priestley's book. I haven't either, but I know it, the large parts of it are about the Alonzo Hamilton falling out, and Mark always says it was an unpleasant time, <laughs> to no one's surprise. So yeah. I must read it. And he, he had fractured his jaw just before the season started as well. Alonzo always impressed me, but yeah, I, I've seen that that other drivers that have gone to other series do say that the team element is at least more friendly than Formula One and more supportive. So it'd be interesting to see what lessons Alonzo has taken from that. He's back with a team that he had most of, well, his two championships were with Renault. I'm really excited to have him back. I don't expect too much in terms of podiums and so forth this season, but Hopefully next season he's at the front. I think, I think we could see him on the podium. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I mean, as, as you've said before, Rob, if you watch this guy driving the, the McLaren when it was a complete dog, he put it in places it just didn't belong. I mean, he, he, he had results that were way better than what anybody would ever expect with that car. So who knows? Mm. Who knows? We yeah. can cross our fingers. Do you think he is one of the top drivers in Formula One historically? Yeah, I, I, I can't go there. Right. I can't go there because I don't think there's anything but the best driver of his time. Right, right. Um, yeah. You know, I don't think you can compare Fangio to, to Jimmy Clark, to uh, Jackie Stewart, to Francois Sever, to modern day Senna. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that you can compare those guys, but I think he's definitely the top of his game. And if think about it. If you were to start a team right now, my God, what a perfect guy to have in your team. Yeah, absolutely. It's just that Hamilton was very impressive in his rookie season with Alonso as a teammate. So it's, you know, it's always exciting to see these very, very top drivers in Formula One. And hopefully Alonso gets himself into a top drive. And hopefully it is with the Alpine and they improve. I don't think he will. I don't. I don't. I, I think his only hope is Alpine. I don't think that he has any hope at, at all of any of the the major teams giving him another chance. I think he's like Kimi Raikkonen. I seriously think that Kimi Raikkonen still has a world championship in him if he was to get the proper ride. I mean, the man mm-hmm. is an absolutely, absolutely wonderful driver, um, and yeah. I think he's got the 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 will to do it. But nobody's going to give him the chance. He's too old, and I think it's. I think that that. Alonzo has burned too many bridges to get a proper ride again. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think so as well. It was unfortunate to have Sergio. He had to take a risk, and he tried to qualify in mediums and didn't make it to Q3. So that put him back the grid or back in the grid. And Yuki Sanada, 14th, not bad for his first qualifying. And then we had... Sebastian, what happened to him in qualifying? And Sebastian just getting completely scuppered by flags. Right. And that was the Mazepin, was it? And you know what? I think he's got the same problem as some other drivers, which is he really lets that, that, those sort of things affect him. And I think mm-hmm. that when that happens close to a race, he can almost guarantee that he's not going to do well in the race. Right. Yeah. He sort of has these little outbursts, right? Whenever an incident happens and it's often not exactly what happened as well. I think so. some of that's political too, though. 
Right. Yeah. All right, well, that's qualifying, so let's discuss the race. Um, a boring race. Sorry. I, I you know what? I, it was, I shouldn't say that. I liked it because I had the, the opportunity for the, the, all the new drivers and seeing all the new drivers and all the, the new driver lineup and, and what was going to transpire. And I, mm-hmm. I liked that a lot. The starts were multiple starts thanks to the safety cars. Yeah, two safety periods within the first five laps, unfortunately. Right. Yeah, and then we had Alonzo out with brake issues. We'll go over the uh, the negative things first, I guess. At Alonzo go out, we had Perez dying on the formation lap, and then we had Mazza spin spinning and right at the beginning. And then we had Bottas. He had a very bad pit stop, so bad luck. Bottas continues. That's about it for. And then I guess the coverage of the uh, Perez going through the field was pretty weak as well. But it was great seeing him do it, boy. Mm-hmm. It's just that we had to look at it this small window in the stack of. The order stack. They should have shown more of it. Yes. For me, he was the driver of the day mm-hmm. to see what he was able to do with that car, which is, I will guarantee you, an inferior car to Max's. See him go up the ladder like that. That was really impressive. But expected, I think, too, right? Given that he does have a better car than he had last year. Yes. What else just you about the race? The finish was the highlight for me and just the immaturity of Max and his engineer. Max could have let Lewis buy on a straight so he didn't sacrifice so much time and probably still would have won the race it was his race he should have won that race in my mind yeah for sure I didn't like the footage I didn't like the screaming sky tv screaming that I find very annoying I just tend to hit the mute button at the start so I don't have to listen to the wailing (laughs) do you think Crofty is trying to replicate Murray or something yeah, I think he's always been that way. He's always been a little bit wound up. The sad part for me is it sort of found its way down to, to the other commentators. And luckily, Martin isn't that good at it. It was great to see Alonso back, but didn't have a particularly good race. He had some good dices, but fell back. And then he had that brake issue and he had to stop. So that was unfortunate. I think he did spectacularly. Compare him to his teammate. I think that he was, he did what he's always done, which is wrung more out of the car than, than is actually there. I, you know, he's got, he's got everything. I think that he's got some, if they can put a half-decent car underneath him, I think that he's going to do quite well this year. Yes, but I don't think they will be putting too much of a decent car behind him. I really think if you look at the end of the race, the top three, even with Bottas pitting to get the one point for the fast lap, he can do that because he's so far ahead of fourth place. There's still a really, really, really large gap between the top teams and the mid-tier teams. And Alonso, for all the, you know, he's such a great driver, he just hasn't been able to get into a, a top team again. Again, hopefully next season with Alpine moving forward or attempting to move forward and with the new rules rules they find their way it would be very good to see Alonso at the front again I think F1's lost a lot of fans because of that personally I look at it and you know the last few years I haven't really cared about Lewis or Val and and Max well, a little bit about Max because you know obviously that's Adrian Newey at work giving him a car that can run up front with an engine that other people have that they can't get anywhere near the front so there's a genius of Adrian Newey at work but 
it's been the dicing below. And I think we're tighter this year than ever with best of the rest. You know, you've got the top two teams and Ferrari's improved, but they're still in the bottom group. And so now we've got a, a race of 18 cars and top guys or top four cars have the ability to get the points. And maybe McLaren can step it up and join that group, I hope, but I don't know. I was really impressed with McLaren, particularly Lando Norris. The thing with Formula One is, at times, the start is so key to the end result, and he made sure that he got up as far as possible at the start, and he took fourth place, which was the maximum he could have done in that car, I think, uh, given the speed of the other cars in front of him. That was very impressive. Ricardo, we'll see how he does. He's a great driver, but didn't seem to do too well today, but, you know, that may take some time. And I was really impressed. I'm sorry? It's Danny. It's Danny's first race, and you know, pretty much everybody says it takes three or four races to get used to a car and and tune it to your driving style. And you know, how do you, how do you set it up for your driving style? And maybe it'll take that. I think you'll see him ahead of Lando pretty darn quickly. In terms of the actual racing, I really like Strollin Alonso. That battle was pretty interesting. The Alonso Vettel and Science dice was pretty cool. Sonata and Alonso. That pass that uh, Yuki did on Alonso on the straight, it did show that the DRS is very, very powerful at this circuit. The passes on the straight were pretty easy. If you want to talk about the, the dicing, yeah, there was all kinds of great dicing. I was a little bit disappointed that it was in a window and they didn't have it on the main presentation screen. Uh, that sky direction that is the problem but yeah there's some wonderful ones and and it was nice seeing stroll not necessarily getting his elbows out but he's racing beyond his years he's racing like a an f1 driver that's been there for 10 years he knows how to make his car wide and he knows when he can dive in cleanly and if i was racing i'd be perfectly happy to go wheel to wheel with him because he looks like a very very mature driver yeah, similar to Kimi Raikkonen, right? You can always race uh, Kimi without fear of him taking you out or something like that. He's a very fair racer. And Bottas had that 10.9 second pit stop. Luck doesn't go his way, does it? Not only does the luck not go his way, but on top of that, it really affects him. He's sort of like an early day Lewis where he tends to get emotionally disturbed and sort of gives up a little bit, I think, early. Maybe that's just me, but that's the sort of impression I get. He needs, he needs a better coach. Well, the thing with successful drivers, like as we all know, every one of these drivers is very fast and very good, but they have to be consistently fast. They have to deliver that speed and that performance over and over and over again. And Lewis does that, Max does that, and Valtteri just isn't doing that. It took a while for Max to get there, but he's finally doing it. But he did show some immaturity in, you know, the final laps of the race. And, you know, I think that Martin or somebody covered it in the TV coverage and saying he didn't have to let Lewis by where he let Lewis by. He could have waited to the main straight where the gap wouldn't have been so great. And is that Max's fault? I think maybe it's a little bit more the engineer's fault. But, hey, who knows? He should have won the race. Yes. There seems to be a problem in Formula One and perhaps in other sports too with certain rules are sort of confusing, right? So that part of the circuit where they were going off repeatedly, we heard radio messages saying Mercedes is doing it, so go ahead, Max, you can do it now too. And then later on, Lewis got a warning and so they couldn't do it anymore. And then he did go off circuit during that pass. To me, that's what has to happen. You have to he had to give the position back, but I'm very fuzzy on 
where and when I thought it was like within two corners or something. So could he have waited to the straight? My my issue with that is I look a little bit deeper on that and think that when they told Lewis Hamilton that he could do what he wanted to do on the corner and use a little bit more of off-piste, I don't think that was to tell him to do that. I think they already knew that that was one of the reasons why Max was so much faster. And they were just alerting the officials that that's what Max was doing. So it stopped Max doing it. And that could have been the final death knell for for Max in not winning the race and not being able to catch Lewis. But good on Lewis. I mean, to be driving with old tires like that and to stay in front. Wow. Yeah, to me, that's always another sign of top drivers is they can manage their tires very well, even when they're worn down. I was pretty skeptical that Max would even catch him so I was a little surprised that he eventually did catch him. And as I remember Martin saying, he thought it was a bit slower than he thought it would be. But once he lost that momentum and let him by, that just seemed to be the end of it. I thought he was going to blow right by him. I, I really did. I thought, I thought that he was going to catch. I thought Max was going to catch Lewis in short order and just make him a, another rolling chicane. I'm just used to seeing that sort of 10 laps left, four second gap between the first and second and second driver making progress. And then they seem to run into that dirty air area and tires start to get affected and so forth. So I thought that that's what would happen to Max, but he did get right up to him. But as we all saw, unfortunately, it didn't work out. I don't know if I have a driver of the race. Uh, Yeah, I do. I do. I have a driver of the race. What about you, Rob? Yeah, it's definitely a Lando Norris still. I know he didn't finish on the podium, but I think he did everything he, he could. He got the maximum that he could out of that car to finish fourth. So it's definitely Lando. And he's young, right? I mean, so it's impressive for him to hold it together like that. Yes, and I noticed that he has a Logitech sponsorship on his steering wheel. So the, we see more of that marriage of the sim world with the real racing world. Because he was very involved in that, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. For me, it's definitely Perez. And you know what? I've never really liked Perez. But to watch him come from the back, I really wish there was more coverage because he clearly drove the wheels off of that car. And, and if you've ever been to a race car li- live and you've been there and you've seen somebody drive from the, the back, it is truly wonderful to watch. It is so thrilling. So he's definitely my driver of, of the day. Yeah, it was very unfortunate that they kept that footage in the, the lower corner of the screen. How would you rate the race? I think just due to the finish, I'd probably put it up there at about a, a seven or an eight. And also, it gets an unfair advantage in that it's the first race of the year with all new drivers. Well, not all new drivers, but you know, new driver lineups, which made things more interesting to see how things were going to wash out. And I'm always looking at what teammates are doing in comparison to each other. Like always. So, you know, that kept me busy through the whole race. But at the same time, I'd rate the coverage as a 1.5. No, I'll make it a 2.5 because of the Murray Walker piece. And and it actually brought a tear to my eye, I I will admit. Yeah, I'd say I'd give this a 6 or 7. I enjoyed a fair amount of dicing, but still not too pleased with the... To me, they're just such massive gaps between the top teams and the, the lower teams. I really, really hope that next season that gap reduces with the new rules. But given the history of Formula One, I'm a little bit skeptical, but we'll see. It won't. 
It won't. It never has been that way. There's always been a car off the front. It, it's at least we have a couple of teams that are off the front. Whereas in the, if you think back to the Michael Schumacher days, Michael Schumacher and Ferrari changed the world. And, you know, they, they changed the whole thing. Before that, they always just covered the, the top cars and the dicing of the top cars on television coverage. That's all they covered. And they learned very quickly probably after about three years that, you know, they, they, they had to cover the dicing behind them. And every now and again, they cut to Michael out front. Um, and so, you know, I think I've just gotten used to that. And, and now I'm interested in the personalities. I'm interested in these young guys and how they hold out. Uh, what have we got next? We've got Italy next. Mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to that. That's, that's going to be a good race. What else is there, Rob? Are we done? Yeah, I think we're done. Thank you for joining us. And don't forget, as always, please subscribe, share, and like. And we appreciate your comments and feedback. Thanks, everyone. We look forward to hearing from you.